This is episode 13 of the Eyes Habit Podcast. My name is Chris Blessing, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the co-general manager of Baseball HQ, Brent Hershey. Brent, how are you today? I'm doing well, Chris. Uh, ready to get at another episode here. Uh, how's it going with you? Doing well, man. Thankful for seeing a slew of games this week in Florida and uh, drink some good beer uh, in the Tampa area has been pretty light with the game schedule here in Dalton, Georgia, or in Georgia and Tennessee. Anyway, we've got a big show today with lots of live looks to get to. But first, remember that the Eyes Have It podcast is brought to you by BaseballHQ.com. It's a really awesome fantasy baseball website, not just because I work there, featuring a lot of great content. Brent, do you have any favorite articles from the last week? Uh, I know we talked about it. Uh, last week, some, but I think your article, and I'm not doing this just because we're co-hosts, <laughs> but I think that your article uh, ranking the traded prospects from the trade deadline season is just you know, a great example of the type of uh, content that we try to provide our subscribers with, uh, basically to take what happened in the major league arena uh, with with some of those prospects being traded, and kind of translate that for people into fantasy uh, tips or uh, viewpoints on how we evaluate those those players. So having uh, having the short scouting reports and then kind of a ranking of of how impactful we feel those are as a uh, as for fantasy players, I think is very helpful and a good example of the type of uh, content that we hope to provide our subscribers. Well, that's good. I'm glad that I was your favorite thing last week. And, uh, you know, that trade deadline article is always a difficult one. We've shared it in the past. I've shared it with, yep. uh, with I believe, Rob Gordon uh, in the past as well. It's uh, a bumpy ride because uh, you don't know what you're going to be writing about a few days uh, prior to when you start writing. Uh, it's all dependent on whether some decent prospects get traded and uh, you know, you pray you have enough information on the guys that uh, do get traded and can find, you know, information relatively quickly on guys that might not have as much content out there or as much video out there. I know that Peyton Battenfield, uh, the Indians acquired him from the Rays and the Jordan Luplow deal. I know that he was a very difficult guy for me to track down. Once I was able to do that, I, I had a pretty good scouting report from multiple scouts, actually. Multiple scouts had seen him, uh, which I was uh, very fortunate uh, because the guys barely pitched in professional baseball. So uh, so thanks. I'm, I'm glad. I didn't expect that answer. I thought you would say something from like Bloom, you know, Bloomfield or something like that. One of the one of the better writers, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm proud of all the stuff that uh, us as a team puts out there, but I do think especially, you know, and I think we have, we probably have a lot of people that are also in AL and NL only leagues. And, uh, you know, as we do each time with that article, run a list of kind of the, the guys that got traded across leagues that are now, that were not, you know, eligible for whatever an NL league that now are. 
Um, there wasn't tons of guys, impactful guys like that this year. I think always helpful for subscribers to have uh, have that list. Well, on today's episode, we'll be featuring six prospect scouting reports during our live look segment. But first, we wanted to have a conversation about evaluations, especially after last week's live look segment discussing Luis Medina. It wasn't the most favorable report. And those sort of reports are the hardest. I, I know for me, I don't know about you, Brent, but they're the hardest yeah. to talk about. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think we, you know, we're not here to kind of cut anybody down player wise or trying the best we can to uh, evaluate what we see again and do that translation for folks in the fantasy value. And uh, Medina certainly is, you know, as we talked about in detail last week, uh, I think has some uh, has some risks as far as that, as far as what he will uh, develop into uh, at the major league level. So I think it's a good, like you said, it's a good, a good time to kind of uh, remind and talk about how we approach these guys. What are what are a couple of uh, your kind of principles as you think about uh, how to communicate? To our audience, whether it's a written audience or whether it's the podcast audience here, how just how these players fit. I mean, one one thing that I always like to point out first is that you know these are informed opinions. We're not just some you know some guy out there. Any scouting report we offer is well thought out, and it's you know between us incorporating years of in-person uh, experience, which has yeah. included I know for me some wins and losses. Uh, I've been hearing a lot about my Jonathan India uh, scouting report. You always hear about the bad ones. Yeah. But it's funny, when you when we're in Arizona at first pitch, it's usually the guys running up to me to tell me, hey, you know, thank you for letting me get on this guy early. Uh, you know, for a long time it was Ronald Acuna, because, uh, yeah. not because I was any special guy or anything. I just happened to see the guy first because of geography. Yeah. You know, for years I've had people come up to me about Acuna. We're just, we're just not – just doing this, uh, Lord knows I have a lot of fun doing this type of stuff, um, but every evaluation to me is, is serious business. So um, the hope today is through these six scouting reports, because we're not doing news or notes. We're not doing anything like that. Our hope is to show you a little bit more into our process. And I think that's what we want to do every time that we have one of these podcasts or when we write an article. I wrote an article this last week on Austin Martin, kind of went really deep into uh, Brent and I have a very similar, I guess, profile for Austin Martin. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily the profile that a lot of other people have. Uh, And I wrote an article last week basically giving Martin a path to getting to where everybody wants him to be. One of my favorite articles. It, I have ever done there because I don't tend to give out how you get to a certain thing because I'm no hitting expert. You know, I can scout it. Don't get me wrong, but changing uh, mechanics, I, I can explain why he's uh, essentially not pulling the ball in the air. I can explain those type of things, but I can't usually, you know, coach it if that makes sense. So I worked really hard on that article. It took me several days. You know, and that's a guy that both of us, both Brent and I agree, Brent's seen him in person. Guy's a major league player. He's a major league regular, but how good is he going to be in fantasy is what a big question mark here. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of think about us 
uh, in the kind of perspective business, you and I both see different levels of play. Uh, you know, you're certainly, you, you certainly see more amateur stuff uh, yes. than I do. And, you know, in the next week, we'll talk about later, you're heading to a trip and we'll see some of the complex ball teams and players. But, and, and we also both get, uh, you know, looks at everything from low A, you know, full season low A up to triple A at different points. And when I say perspective business, just, again, trying to keep in mind as we uh, view these guys, as we write them up, you know, the perspective of kind of what level they're at, their age, how and how we see and have seen in the past similar players or other players kind of develop skills as they've kind of gone up that ladder with the kind of the intent being um, when they get to the majors, what kind of player will they be? I mean, they obviously you and I have seen tons of guys that have raked at low A that uh, end up being, you know, utility infielders or something uh, once they get to the majors and, 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 but also have seen guys that uh, at low A that have hit well, that have, going on to be stars and very uh, important uh, cogs in, in fantasy teams, uh, in fantasy teams. Yeah, I wanted to mention, like, Aline Hansen's a guy that, for whatever reason, one guy always mentions how I missed him. And I, I loved the guy when I saw him in the Sally League when he was in low A. Uh, but, you know, Aline Hansen's not somebody that, you know, any of us are really rostering. I don't even know where he's playing right now, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he could be in a foreign baseball league for all I know. That's that's what tends to happen. Sometimes sometimes guys just don't get better. That's yeah. that's one of the the main things that I like to say. I mean, this is you know, for me it's I have a power almost. I have power in the sense of, you know, if I say something about a guy that's positive or negative, somebody's going to listen. It's just not fantasy managers. Uh, I've had people come up to me yeah. and you know, thank me. I, I mean, I have agents following me on Twitter. Uh, I've had agents comment back to me on Twitter when I've said something about their client. I've had agents also uh, retweet stuff. So, like, I try to choose my words carefully. I always try not to hype a guy up or tear a guy down too much in our space. And and those are kind of the, you know, things that I feel like make me a very good uh, evaluator, makes me confident in my abilities to accurately project outcomes for guys and know that I believe it also sets me apart and you know having the 11 years of experience to draw from is a massive advantage too but I'll, I'll be honest with you Brent I'm always learning I always uh, find a new thing and I, I know that you you know we have a lot of discussions about you know finding finding new things out every day and I yep. know that you've uh, had those same experiences, right? Yeah, for sure. It's a, uh, you know, for me, it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating puzzle to kind of put together again, sort of the human element into these players and kind of which guys are able to uh, progress to the point where they're quality major leaguers and, and other guys who, for whatever reason, uh, aren't, aren't, aren't able to do that. And, you know, we're about to get to a bunch of evaluations. I know that 
Brent was at the ballpark this week. I was at the ballpark this week, but I'm not going to talk about my at the ballpark experiences other than there was a lot of mullets at the stadium, uh, uh, <laughs> much more than I was actually prepared for. But anyway, Brent went to go check out a Philly starter. Uh, and that Philly starter didn't go, did he? No, that was uh, what happens sometimes in this. Yeah. Uh, I spoke last week about uh, interested to go see uh, left-hander Eric Miller. Uh, showed up Wednesday, and here he wasn't in the lineup and uh, had uh, had an injury issue that Ooh. they had to pull him from. I mean, it's not 100% surprising because Miller has had some uh, shoulder issues in the past. I, uh, since then, I haven't heard any additional any additional word on that. But yes, uh, kind of the main target that I went to uh, went to go see uh, did not end up playing then, which is uh, you know part of part of uh, the business that we're in. I think, unfortunately, yeah, yeah and, and you got a very interesting guy, somebody that you touched on in June, I believe, uh, somebody that you got a one game look at at that point who had just been, I believe, called up to. High A Aberdeen uh, in the Baltimore organization, and that's uh, uh, infielder Jordan Westberg. Uh, what can you tell us about Westberg? Yeah, I like you said, we touched on him um, at the beginning of June, and I got several more looks over the past two months, and uh, including this game last week. And and he has really grown on me. Um, you know, it's it's mainly the swing and the approach really about him that. That has me intrigued. He's a he's a well built guy, six three, two oh three is what he's listed at, but has a nice short swing. You know, the setup is simple, has a minimal stride, hands kind of fire through the zone quickly, and has uh, has a you know a decent amount of current a uh, current strength, and it's the strength that shows up, you know, both in batting practice and in the games. Um, he makes a lot of hard contact. Times I've seen him several times. He's been actually leading off, oh, wow. but he really, but he really projects. I think more as a middle of the order hitter as he grows. And in and in one game, you know, he's he's just always ready to hit. It was kind of the third pitch. Uh, he jumped on a hanging curveball and sent it over the left center field wall. Uh, this is at home at Aberdeen, it's marked at 404, not very far from where it went over the wall. It's, oh wow! They have big big alleys out there. So it was a it was a major league shot uh, <laughs> uh home run and you know the other part i i really uh i'm drawn to how he really knows the strike zone isn't isn't afraid to kind of work deep counts uh is able to take a walk for the most part doesn't chase pitches that he can't get to you know i think he'll post very good on base numbers especially in the majors uh because of that kind of combination of of a Promising hit tool, some power there, and some patience that I think is, is is someone that we need to start considering. I think he'll be moving up lists here during this offseason. In the field, he's actually played more shortstop, but I've only seen him at third base. And he's proven to be an excellent fielder. The That Aberdeen team also has Gunnar Henderson, who they flip-flop shortstop and third base. But I've been impressed with Westberg in the field, his ability to make plays coming in on the ball, especially, you know, a quick transfer thrown on the run has a, has a strong arm there, a good overall package. I think that, uh, that he really can, can grow from. 
22. Um, and again, it was a compensation round pick in the 2020 draft out of Mississippi State. So he's a college kid. And, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if he gets a cameo look at double A by the end of the year, uh, likely starts from double A in 2022, you know, could, could be part of the, really the Orioles infield at some point soon after that. One of, one of the things that has been a concern has been his play on the dirt, at least while he was at Mississippi State. There were some questions whether he had the hands play on the dirt, play on the infield. And it's good to see, good to hear that he is looking better there. And maybe it's the change over to third base, playing third base part-time. With Gunnar Henderson there, there's a, I think he has a little bit better shot of sticking at shortstop than Westberg. The, the Orioles tend to get a same type of middle infield type guy that, you know, is going to be a power bat. Their feeling, I believe, is these guys can stick at corner positions because they have the power to carry the profile. Slugging yeah. 5'10 certainly shows that he's able to do that. A 930 OPS split between high A and low A. Uh, low A was probably a very conservative start place for him, uh, being a yeah. college guy. Uh, but like him continuing this on over to high A, this really does bode well. I think this is a, a great profile and something that our audience should take into account when they're looking, especially in AL-only formats, uh, and especially in on-base percentage formats as well. Uh, you mentioned that you believe that the on-base percentage was going to carry over to the major leagues. I know from my experience, it's probably the hardest thing for us to predict because pitching is so bad, I, I, and, and pitching's worse this year than it's ever been. It, it, it's bad. You know, how is he responding to pitches that are kind of close? Is is he managing the strike zone in that sense? Or is it just like guys are missing by a lot and he's just kind of laying off pitches? Yeah, that's that's exactly what he's doing and what and why what leads me to kind of make that statement is that I've seen in the game him take very close pitches, you know, just off the plate. And and once in a while, you know, once in a while he'll chase and reach for something and put a soft ground ball somewhere. But there are more times that he's just locked into kind of what's a strike and what's not. And so these good takes, quote unquote, of pitches that are just off the edge uh, or just high or just low and, and are called balls is what kind of leads me to think that he could end up with some uh, nice looking OBPs. Spitting on pitches, as they say in the scouting, he just spitting yep. on pitches. Well, I actually um, did some scouting on, on video. I did a lot of scouting on video, actually, the last two weeks. And uh, I went and uh, one of the guys that we covered, uh, actually Jeremy Deloney, who was our guest, has been our only guest on this show, uh, was Andy Pages. He was a guy that I wanted to go see. Yeah. So I went and checked out some Great Lakes action. Not to write him up, I'm, I'm confident in Jeremy's uh, evaluation of him, especially now that... Uh, I've seen him about five games. I think uh, go back to that episode. Can't remember which episode, but uh, we'll, of course, uh, go through our archive. You'll find it. Uh, someone with Jeremy Deloney, or, uh, one of our HQ writers. But anyway, uh, during Thursday's uh, game, um, which I watched on Friday morning of last week, I watched Clayton Beater, um, who I don't know if you're familiar with. He was a 
uh, pitcher who came out of the Big 12, who was uh, a CBA pick of the Dodgers, uh, came out of Texas Tech. Uh, have you have you ever heard of him or anything? I'm not. I can't say I'm familiar with him. No, I'm interested to hear what uh, what you saw. So yeah, so like this is a guy that coming into the draft, it, there was only four games uh, at Texas Tech before uh, COVID shut things down. This was their closer the previous season, 2019. And by 2020, he was working as their Friday starter. And for those not familiar with how college works, Friday starter is the number one starter. Saturdays two, Sundays three. And then if guys go on weeknights, they're four or five. That's just how it works out. Dude showed a lot of control against maybe some lesser competition. Beater was a guy who went to the alternate training site last year. Was very surprised that he's been in high A for the whole season. He's playing for Great Lakes. Uh, and they have him starting games, but pitching short increments with a three to four day rest in between. So he's been throwing one, two, three innings uh, throughout the season. So, uh, you know, I watched that game. I went back and watched another game. And I, I see why. They, this is a likely future relief pitcher. Uh, I think that his days of of closing at Texas Tech may have been the precursor to him being a reliever at some point. He is close to physical projection. He is listed at 6'2", 220. I believe that. Great projection there. It's an over-the-top angle. Uh, and the, the delivery is online. Like a lot of, of uh, over-the-top angles uh, that we've seen, we've talked about Ethan Small earlier this year from the Brewers. Mm-hmm. Long arm circle. Um, but does does decently to control his pitches. Uh, it's two-pitch mix. Uh, the fastball is uh, 93 to 96. In college closing, he was throwing mid to the high 90s, so this is a little bit less. But, again, he's going two to three innings, so I could send an on-limited rest. So I can see why the velocity might be a little further down than that. It's a flatter plane pitch, usually from the over-the-top if you remember right, um, back in the day, um, most over-the-top guys were downward plane pitchers. And what that essentially means is that they were trying to throw the ball in the lower part of the zone. You know, because there's not really much fastball playing on their, their pitch, it, it didn't move much. So they had to be almost fine with their pitches. Something's changed in recent years. We've seen guys like Ian Anderson, Ethan Small. Jared uh, Schuster, who we've talked about um, on here, Brent Saul, I actually wrote up in an article the other day. Uh, these are guys that live at the top of the zone, and, and that's where uh, where Beater's living with his fastball. And with that flatter plane, it's creating rise, which uh, allows him to miss bats. Of course, in this appearance, he struggled getting the ball into that into that zone, so his his control was good, but his command was not so much. He had below average to even fair command uh, of his pitch. And then he variated between actually the same breaking pitch. It was a curveball. But he variated between a deeper, slower curveball in like the 78, 81 range and a more violent like power curveball, which is in the 83 to 85 range. Uh, and of course, the power curveball was really his best pitch. Um, but I just believe that he probably is ripping the ball a little harder, uh, getting on top of the pitch a little bit more. But it's a two-pitch mix. I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm really surprised he hasn't moved up yet. It's a double-A pitcher. This guy should 
you know, a lot of people thought that to start the season, he probably would have been in double A and mm-hmm. that he would have been a late season relief option for the Dodgers. Uh, but it appears the Dodgers had some different plans with him. It's uh, kind of on a fancy perspective. Is there kind of back of the bullpen potential here or is it more of a, you know, kind of a middle innings reliever, you know, possibly set up sort of thing? Well, his command definitely needs to improve. He needs to at least get 40, which would be below average on the uh, 2080 scouting scale. All he has to do is throw that ball up, uh, above the um, above the swing planes, above the belt, and let the action play for itself. So late, any relief can get there if his command improves. And that's probably, let's be honest, is the reason why he's in high A and not in double A, and probably why he started there. Thanks so much for that port on right-handed pitcher Clayton Beater of the Dodgers. Well, the second guy on our list, on your list tonight, someone I'm certainly interested in hearing about because I've heard there's been some, uh, you know, low-level buzz about this year, and that's uh, Houston catcher Corey Lee. What can you tell us about Lee, and why should fantasy players have him on uh, their radars? Well, thanks for asking that. This is uh, this is a guy that 2019 draft was a surprise first-round pick. Uh, Cal Berkeley product, Corey Lee, surprise first-rounder, as I said, uh, was known more for his glove and arm than his hit tool coming out of college. Uh, and even in his first year as a pro in 2019, uh, has done a tremendous job improving, actually, his receiving skin, skills. Uh, this guy's going to stick at catcher regardless. Uh but now he's just like everybody else. About half the teams have gone to a one-knee-down catching setup. I, I wrote about it last year. Anyway, this hasn't really affected his lateral movement or his ability to defend the stolen base uh, for those people who are, you know, want that in their, their players because they're in a weird format or in a simulation format. The biggest drives this season, though, have come with the bat. It's an open stance. The hands are held high. Very clear path to the hit position. Uh, this is a co- was a contact-oriented hitter previously. You know, wasn't hitting ball with the authority or anything like that. Still contact-oriented, but now has turned into more of a power over hit tool. Uh, and mostly, he has really good coverage up. He's one of the few very high ball hitters. This guy that's going to probably excel in this state of a day of a day and age of pitchers throwing a bunch of high fastballs. Uh, and he's feasted on that. He feasted on that in low A and he so far has, uh, or not low A, high A. He so far has feasted on it in double A. A majority of his home runs have been on middle end pitches. Uh, power has mostly been pull oriented, but he has shown power to the opposite field gap. Uh, He's hit at least one home run that direction. While he has a lot of coverage on the inner half of the plate down and up, he doesn't have as much coverage on the uh, you know other side of the plate. So we are projecting him to be potentially a 25 home run power guy. The problem right now is we still see some ground ball tendencies, especially on pitches low in the zone. He's not able to get that launch angle deep enough to get to those pitches, his swing plane, I should say, not as the launch angle. Um, and it does depress some power. Uh, but the contact makes up for it. I'm always leery, and 
Just, I don't know, Brent. Did you ever see Kevin Plawicki when uh, when he was a prospect? Uh, I think he's maybe in the Red Sox organization now. Uh, yeah, I think I had seen Plawicki come through um, when he was in the Eastern League so many years ago, coming through Trenton. There um, was always, you know, even back then, I'm always looking for offensive catchers to kind of stash away on a on a dynasty roster or whatever. And I do remember having some positive impressions of Plowicki at that point in the games that I saw as someone, uh, you know, that was offensively oriented. He was a top 100 prospect, actually, at many different places. Uh, I don't know if he was that here, but I do know he was that at Roto Scouting, where I wrote at, at that time. And I know that a few other more well-known outlets had him in their top 100. The problem with Plawicki, and this is a very similar profile, is uh, it was a heavy ground ball tendency profile. Um, hit a lot of ground balls, also hit a lot of balls to the gap, especially the left center field, right-handed hitter, and uh, had a lot of pull power. And, and at times in the major leagues, we've seen it. Uh, his home runs are usually not cheapies. But uh, the ground ball, I know it killed Met fans and then it killed Indian fans. Uh, that, you know, you had a runner on base and he, he tended to ground it right into the five, six hole. So like, uh, yeah. and didn't have the run, run skills. So like, uh, that's a factor in Corey Lee right now. So like, I'm leaning towards whether he is a top 100 prospect. I think he probably makes it right now just because hitting is so, you know, just like pitching is very depressed and he, any guy performing right now has, uh, has a leg up on these top 100 lists. Uh, you know, timing's still off. Um, the level of pitching because of all the injuries and all the inning caps is not that great. Right now, he's on the inside of my top 100. Well, and I just uh, just looked it up for old time's sake. And uh, 2015 HQ 100, number 72, Kevin Plowicki. So, yes, uh, we thought a lot of him also at that point. And it's, that's uh, interesting to... See, I, I couldn't have said that off the top of my head that uh, without checking that Floiki was had made our top 100 list. I think one interesting, I mean, I think it's really interesting about Lee is this idea that he hits the high, he hit, hits the high fastball and has and struggles struggles lower in the zone. You know, in one way, that's kind of uh, the high fastball is a way that. A lot of pitchers are trying to beat guys now, and so to have a strength in that area is good. Um, but I think, I guess, ultimately, you'd hope that there was <laughs> some balance too. That uh, it wouldn't just be that the lower pitches wouldn't end up, you know, getting beaten into the ground. Of course, and uh, you know, you look at this, especially at the catcher profile. I I really don't want to change a guy like this too much because of course the glove is going to carry his major league worth to an organization, especially the fact that he has a plus arm. He has a high percentage of getting runners out at, um, you know, trying to steal bases. Yeah. He can, he can obviously frame. He's one of the best framers I've seen at this level. So like, you don't want to like, change him too much. You you don't want him to be a huge strikeout guy. He doesn't have those tendencies so far. Uh, you prefer him to be more contact-oriented, and whatever power he can get to is whatever power he can get to. 
Yeah. But like I'm projecting him to be at least a top 15 catcher. This guy has the chance to start, and I think that's uh, uh, a definitely a star for him on uh, moving up uh, on a top 100 prospect list. Yeah, well, we'll have to see how he kind of uh, finishes out the season. The fact that he's in double A now means he's not uh, too far away. Uh, and, of course, we also recognize that uh, these catchers that come up have so much responsibility, like you said, defensively, that uh, sometimes the offense takes a little bit of time mm-hmm. to, get, to get there. But a uh, uh, great uh, Great nugget there on uh, Corey Lee. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I will say this. I think we're going to be transitioning now to some international signings, uh, some top international signings. Uh, And I'm very interested in this. These are guys, uh, one of them I've seen, one of them I haven't. But Brent, uh, tell us about Yasil Antuna. Sure, yeah. When we were going, putting together today's episode, um, guys that I – you know, that we have seen. Uh, these are two players that I have seen at, at different levels over the past several years. I'll get to the first one. Antuna is a shortstop in the Washington organization. He was a, a, big, a big July 2 international sign in 2016, signed for $3.85 million. Um, got off to a great start the next year at 301 in rookie ball. He's a, uh, you know, kind of medium, medium built, uh, switch hitter, middle infielder, like I said, shortstop, listed at 6-0-195. The glove, I think, at the time of the international signing was definitely ahead of the, of the, of the bat, but there was some interest in his switch hitting ability. And so when he got off to that start, I think people were interested and, and certainly in the fantasy community too, like many, like I think both of these guys that we're going to cover, uh, there, these players were added to dynasty rosters, uh, you know, maybe even sight unseen. Yeah, so he jumped to full season low A in 2018, uh, which was, you know, on the actual it was teammates of Juan Soto is how far back uh, that goes. And Luis uh, Garcia. And Luis Garcia, yeah. He struggled there as an 18-year-old, uh, got hurt, missed most of 19 with uh, actually Tommy John surgery. Of course, and then uh, lost out on 2020. So he started this year. Uh, they assigned him to high A, um, and when I saw him early, he really looked overmatched. I, you know, looking back, all that time off, uh, coming back from the injury, you know, a, a full two years kind of away from organized ball, uh, you can kind of understand it. But he, re- you know, was really under the Mendoza line for most of May and June. Near the end of June, he started hitting, and then in July, really, really picked things up uh, over that month. Hit 315 with a 398 on base and a 519 slugging. So, it, you know, it leads me to wonder, like, is this someone that should be kind of back on our radar? And certainly there's some positives there. From the left side, again, he's a switch hitter. You know, things look much better more recently, especially than what they had. He's mostly a spray hitter, uh, lots of line drives. I've been able to see him track off-speed stuff well and make decent contact uh, with it. And he's been more selective at the plate uh, as the season's gone on. He's definitely gotten more comfortable in in several different aspects 
of that as the season has gone on. There's some negatives, too. I mean, he still struggles a good bit from the right-handed side. So when he's facing left-handed pitchers, the right-handed swing really needs some work, and his splits uh, kind of reflect that. And there's a lot of Ks, you know, a lot of strikeouts, uh, especially for someone who's not producing tons of power outside of this small stretch in July. There's times when I've seen him kind of be extra passive and or just not be able to handle very hittable pitches. And he also kind of suffers from what they call a slow motor uh, at different times, you know, not always hustling balls out. And that, you know, that kind of lack of focus that can happen uh, has affected his base running too. I've seen several base running mistakes. It's those type of things that for right now, we don't really see as forming into a, uh, you know, even a regular kind of major league infielder. At this point, you know, I, I saw him in 2018 as well um, when he was with Hagerstown. Mm-hmm. And I, I just went through my notebook here and uh, had a 4.56 home to first uh, yeah. on a sprint. On a sprint uh, for the left-handed batter's box. His follow-through was so, for a guy who doesn't really hit for power, was so in like just almost knocked him off his feet. Just slow, like walking, like running in quicksand. He wasn't a guy that I particularly liked. He was, uh, you know, actually at that time was kind of viewed as this better prospect over Luis Garcia, who's, you know, appeared in the major leagues for the Nationals. Uh, yeah. And I just, I never really saw it, to be honest with you. I, I didn't see it at all. So it's good to hear that he's, doing better, especially from the left side. But I do have some concern whether whether this is just a – it's kind of figured out, found this timing, it's taking advantage of some bad pitching right now. I, I'm just very skeptical about whether this is a – he had his, as they say here in the South, the come-to-Jesus moment, was able to uh, put everything together. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's totally fair, and I – Certainly, the times, the first that I've gotten to, have not been what you might hope for out of what, you know, out of what seems like a, an athletic kind of quick twitch middle infielder's body. Anyway, the, the second, uh, second international guy I wanted to recheck in on was uh, Phillies outfielder Jalen Ortiz. Ortiz is a year older. He's 22 and was part of the 2015 uh, international class. The Phillies gave him what I think is they're still their biggest kind of international bonus, which is $4 million. Um, he was a power hitting corner outfielder at that point. You know, there were some, as I recall, in that international draft that thought he was one of the best power bats there, but there were others that had some questions about uh, the hit tool and, and the swing and miss, which uh, at this point, Kind of, kind of define his profile more so than the power. Uh, pre-pandemic, he had two years of A ball, uh, low A in 2018 and high A in 2019, where he really struggled uh, with the strikeouts, uh, specifically, you know, identifying breaking stuff. Uh, I saw multiple games of him in low A at Lakewood in 2018, uh, where he would you know, be right on, uh, right on a fastball and just nail it foul. But the, 
you know, the opposing pitcher would throw two A, a ball level curveballs, if you know what I mean. Uh, and he would just swing out of his shoes at him and, and walk back to the dugout for a strikeout. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of the memory that I had of him. I didn't see him in high A when he was at Clearwater, obviously, but just, you know, one that had home run power often came on mistake pitches and had a batting average, you know, in the low two hundreds that really kind of reflected that they put him back into high A this year. And while he, while he's striking out a little bit less, he's still striking, he's still missing the ball a good deal, but his damage when he's made contact is, is a lot better. Um, he's got, he has 20 home runs already, uh, an OPS of 878 and, uh, Phillies uh, just moved him up to double A about a week ago. In my looks this year, I mean, he has made some obvious strides in kind of identifying and laying off some of the breaking stuff. Uh, there's still a good bit of swing and miss there, as I think kind of there will be uh, in his, you know, in his profile, which is a traditional, you know, what we think of as a traditional corner outfielder power guy. But I have seen him, like I said take some pitches that he would have swung through uh, in the past couple of years. One issue going forward, especially in double A, as he'll need to do better on well-located velocity, which we'll see more of here at the upper levels. While he was laying off some pitches in that double A debut that he might have swung through before, uh, he really got beat a couple times uh, with some hard stuff. So there's, there's still some adjustment going on there. And the one other positive thing I think to keep track of is he has done a great job of kind of keeping his body in shape. You know, I saw him as a teenager, specifically remember him uh, in short season ball where he was built, let's say thickly. (laughs) Uh, And it was easy to, it was easy to see that maintaining his body as he got into his early and mid twenties was going to be important. And it's certainly something that uh, many folks thought that would eventually take him off of the outfield and move him uh, to the first base, where obviously there's all the more pressure on the bat. That hasn't hasn't happened yet. Uh, he showed up to camp this year in 2021 in great shape, and I was surprised, you know, seeing him this year in both high A and in double A. They're playing him actually in center field. Um, oh wow! And and he has looked okay. Now he's not a major league quality sort of center fielder, but he is athletic for as big as he is. Like I said, he's done a good job taking care of his body and the, uh, you know, he's, he showed some decent uh, reads and, and uh, jumps out there in center field. So I, I think the, for now, anyway, the thought of him in the short term, anyway, moving off into first base is kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of saved that off for now. So, like, you mentioned something about better, well-located velocity uh, in double-A. Are you talking about fastballs that are commanded up in the zone? That's what I was specifically talking about. He was going up in that game against uh, Luis Medina, who, uh, after getting him to to foul off a couple uh, pitches, beat him, you know, with kind of 96 at the letters uh, twice in a row, I think. I mean, oh, wow. twice in, in the same at bat. While I saw him adjust to breaking stuff better, um, 
he was not ready <laughs> for uh, for the fastballs that Medina uh, blew by him basically that evening. How is his uh, coverage of the plate? Is he getting to outside heat as well, or is he mostly middle in on on the fastball? I think it's it's mostly middle in that he's strongest at. Feels like I feel like he can hammer. The times that I've noticed, you know, he has struggled more with the outer half coverage stuff, and so that's another sort of step for him to uh, address. You know, that would that would kind of take his game forward. Sounds like fair contact skills. That's how I'm I'm looking at it. Not poor, uh, not average, not even below average, but it sounds like he has fair contact skills. Yeah, I think, like I said, it's just will be interesting to track someone that sort of fell off the radar a little bit and has uh, improved some to the point where uh, he's back into kind of consideration, I think. I figured since you had two international guys, I throw out an international guy of my own. Uh, actually, I don't know what year. I, I don't. I don't really look at those years. But uh, <laughs> this guy was the top Rocky signing in the year that they signed him as an international free agent, and he only received eight hundred thousand uh, dollars. And when I say only, we've been talking about guys that got four million and three point six million. And here's this guy that's getting $800,000. Uh, it's, it's Ezekiel Tovar, who's a shortstop in the Rockies organization. He's 20 years old. He just got promoted to high A. He's been in low A. He's somebody I've been tracking ever since the start of the year. reason why I've been tracking him is one of my contacts in spring training said, hey, do you know who the second best prospect in the Rockies organization is? And I was like, no, it's the Rockies organization. So... Uh, Rocky's organization's been Zach Veen uh, since he's been drafted, and whoever's the next guy. It, it's mm-hmm. not the strongest farm system, which makes a non-Trevor Story deal even more questionable. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I was like, really? He's like, yeah, man, he's, he's pretty good. And so I caught him originally in either the end of May or early June. I actually ended up writing about the opponent that they were facing, which was uh, Giants prospects, which I wrote about Luis uh, Matos and uh, uh, their big prospect, Marco Luigiano. And uh, the Rockies at the time, I was going to scout Zach Veen. Zach Veen was having a big struggle. He since turned it on since then. And I came across Ezekiel Tovar. And my contact was right. He was the second best prospect in the Rockies organization. Coming into this season, he was pretty much known as an advanced defender with range, uh, with a plus plus range, very good hands, and a very strong arm. Uh, at shortstop, a guy that uh, many believed could play shortstop at 19 in the major leagues. That's how gifted he is. And that's something, you know, we I always talk about how 80% of the story is told on the video. Uh, that's something that's hard to scout, but with a guy this good, it is not hard to scout. There was a highlight on Twitter a few weeks ago of the third baseman, you know, the ball ricocheting off the third baseman, that this guy has, like, cat-like quickness. So here you go. you got a shortstop here. This guy ain't moving off the position. Has always been a contact-oriented bat. When I say that, uh, I'm not talking about a guy that is hitting a lot of uh, single stuff, that kind of thing. He just makes a lot of high, a lot of contact. He's uh, very... Uh, plus hand-eye coordination. This offseason, he added muscle to his frame, 
And this spring training, which is what my contact saw, he started hitting the ball with the authority, mostly to the pull side. The season's gone on. He absolutely matched as a 20-year-old in low A. So that's a age-appropriate form. Uh, now he's in high A, and that's not necessarily age-appropriate form. Uh, but in low A, he um, flashed 309, 346, 510 with 11 home runs. He also stole 21 bases. We don't really know how good that is. There's weird rules on how the stolen base handles in the low A. So we're... We're just going to throw it up there and say he does have plus running speed. We'll see how it goes in high A to see whether it's uh, a continuation. Uh, I, I think high A even has a weird rule. Uh, high A West has a real uh, weird rule when it comes to, to base running. So we might not know until double A whether this guy's a, a base-stealing threat or not. At the plate, he has a, a just slightly closed stance. His hands hang over the plate. Very clear path to the hit position. He adjusts his back plane well, so he's able to cover up and down very well. His natural vertical bat angle prevents him really to get to the outer half, so it means he cuts off the plate. When I talk about that, I mean that like his, his bat handle, um, the knob tends to be at a very high, like a higher degree than, than, um, than it really needs to be. It needs to be a little more flatter as he's coming into his swing. But he has the quickness of the swing. There's nothing really holding it up. So he, he does make good contact, kind of like Austin Martin, who kind of was like the opposite. He was getting to outside pitches and, and pulling them. But like the inside, he would have to inside out it because he couldn't get his back to it. So and, and this is more common. Martin, you don't normally see that in hitters. Uh, but with Tovar, it, this is a common thing that we do see. He is a very aggressive hitter uh, in one game. Uh, against uh, those Giants prospects in San Jose earlier this year. Out of 11 pitches, he uh, swung at 10 of them. Uh, so he has a very aggressive approach. And also guys with very good hand-eye coordinations. You know, these low strikeout guys, low walk guys tend to, you know, eventually do get some patience. This is a guy that tracks breaking balls well. It's actually a decent break all, breaking ball hitter either. This guy's not a dude that is really expanding too far. He's just swinging a lot of pitchers' pitches. And that's yeah, that can be remedied a lot easier than, let's say, somebody we've talked about on here, Michael Harris, who will, you know, expand, uh, you know, pretty substantially on some pitches uh, um, because he's not tracking the breaking ball well. Anyway... Powers mostly to the pull side. I think the added, added strength has moved his home run potential from like the 10 home run area to the 20 to 25 home run area. So with this combination, this is a guy that's probably a better real world prospect because of the way that he plays shortstop. But I think he's a guy that, that is definitely a top 100 prospect right now. Uh, I don't know how many people have him there. I had him actually as my top 50 prospect, my 50th overall prospect at the midseason. I can project him out to shortstop. And I do believe watching him track pitches, I believe that he will eventually get enough patience. I'm not saying he's going to be, uh, you know, the you know, like Kevin Euclid and walk all the time. Um, but I, I am saying that this is a guy that's going to, to find some walks. So I do like this guy a lot. There are some few warts with him, but overall, he's he's the second best prospect in the Rockies organization. And 
you know, looking at things, it looks like they have two, and and maybe with Benny Montgomery, who they drafted this year, three legit offensive uh, prospects. One of the, I think, one of the most important things you mentioned is just you've seen that that he's been able to make adjustments so far. That that is certainly something that will that will likely continue uh, as long as he's physically able to do that and. Those are the types of players, you know, when when you have the skills that Tovar is showing so far, even if we have questions about the 21 stolen bases, you know, there's some amount of speed there and stolen base mm-hmm. ability. But just back to being able to always improve and uh, get better in the different areas of his game, I think is something that's a characteristic that is very positive for those of us trying to project what these minor leaguers are to become. And we know that like the, the other thing is that there's no path that's going to block him. Uh, it doesn't sound like Trevor Story is going to be staying. Uh, there's no other prospects here. Uh, Garrett Hampson's not going to be the guy uh, long-term at shortstop once, uh, or even Brendan Rogers, Brendan Rogers, not really a shortstop. So when Tovar is ready, which could be his age 22 season, so we're talking about two years from now that he could be in the major leagues. You know, this guy's going to get regular playing time, and the Rockies aren't going to be good, let's just face it. They're, they're not going to be good, so they'll be able to play guys like Tovar, uh, like Bean, who might come up the year later. Uh, and, and, you know, if Montgomery develops, maybe the next year after that. We don't always recommend those guys with clear paths, but, like, we know where the Rockies' trajectory is headed, and it is not headed to winning baseball for the next couple of years. Yeah, and uh, certainly seems like Tovar, if he continues uh, on his path the rest of this season, will become more uh, more sought after and get more accolades uh, within that system for sure. Great report on uh, Ezekiel Tovar, uh, shortstop yeah. the Rockies. Thank you very much, Brent. I, uh, I, I'm just happy I didn't miss the boat on this because I, I saved this and never got to it uh, for an article. So here we are. Uh, Excellent. Well, Excellent. we've got an upcoming, we're, we're to the upcoming schedule portion of our uh, episode, which is my favorite part of the episode because it means we're almost done and I'm hungry. Uh, I'll actually be in Florida for games on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, actually, the plan is to get to five games total. I'm definitely hitting up the Clearwater-Tampa series in low A. These are Phillies and Yankees prospects. And I have I no idea who I will see from the Phillies organization since they've had a COVID outbreak. Uh, but fingers crossed, yep. we line up Mick, uh, Mick Abel, Abel, who is their number one prospect in first-round pick from the 2020 draft. So I might get some scoops that, uh, before Brent Hershey gets them on Phillies, guys. So uh, that will be a first. And then uh, I'll be seeing the Yankees prospects as well. Jason Dominguez, who's a superstar international signing, who made his uh, debut, and Brent saw at the Futures game. And Trey Sweeney, who is the first-round pick of the um, Yankees this year. I almost said Rockies. Uh, first-round pick of the Yankees are definite gets for me as well. I'll also cover a Yankees-Florida Complex game against the Blue Jays Complex team. 
you'd never know what to expect there. So we're not going to even talk about anybody we'll be expecting there. Uh, May trip to Bradenton, try to catch 2021 first round uh, over first overall pick. Pirates prospect Henry Davis in the game uh, between Pirates complex teams. Unless he gets called up, I think he might get called up to low A. He's uh, somebody who probably is a little more advanced for complex ball, just like uh, Trey Sweeney was. They have two teams. That's why I say it's like a, a it's a Pirates scrimmage, but it's real games. Uh, so it's uh, two Pirates teams, but. As for my other low A games, uh, it will likely be St. Lucie, which is a Mets affiliate, versus Dundon, which is a Blue Jays affiliate. And this was a better game a few weeks ago because uh, Jays uh, unfortunately called up Orvelis Martinez. Well, fortunately for him, but unfortunately for me because I've been planning on that the whole year, uh, <laughs> is to see Orvelis Martinez. And actually the Mets called up a really good prospect as well. Uh, uh, a breakout guy named Jalen Palmer. So, like, I was um, disappointed that I didn't get to see either of those guys this year. But I'll be running the Jays prospect Miguel Araldo and Mets prospect Alex Ramirez, who are both international signings. And uh, Ramirez got a pretty good bonus, I think, in the $2 million range. So, like, these are some some top guys. Uh, so there's a lot of baseball. And uh, – Hopefully, I have some things to talk about next week. A lot more than this week, only seeing the game with all those mullets and stuff. But uh, what do you have on tap this week, Brent? I think uh, I'm going to need, given all the great ball you're going to see, I'm going to need to spend my time getting my questions ready for you. Yeah, I, I, my week has changed, and I don't think I'm going to get to any live action this week, unfortunately. Anyway, uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of The Eyes Have It. You can contact us uh, via email at theeyeshabit at baseballhq.com or reach out to us on Twitter. We'd love to have uh, your reader questions or any sort of feedback that you can give us. You can also uh, find us on Twitter. Chris is at C underscore blessing, and you can find me at RentHQ. Thanks for listening and subscribing. And we ask if you're listening to us on a platform that allows you to rate and review us with those ratings as positive ratings and positive reviews uh, do mean a lot and help us uh, help us spread the word about the eyes have it. Chris, great show again this week and uh, enjoy your trip to Florida. Thanks Brent. As always, great show. Hope everybody's well out there and, uh, uh, I guess see you guys or hear you guys or I don't know what we do next week.